Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit Filter, episode 25, our final episode of the Syrian Civil War series, Ray. Can you believe we'll have talked about this thing for 25 fucking hours? <laughs> no, I, I can't. I, I want to go back to how you ended the last show. Um, and even though you, you totally don't agree with it, which is fine, and maybe you have a hard time seeing it, that's fine too. America... We have a mentality because we see ourselves as having won the Cold War, having led the world in the Cold War, and we still see ourselves as the leaders of the free world, even though we don't want we don't want the responsibility that comes with that anymore, but we certainly want the prestige, the respect, and the right to still act. And so I, I think when when Trump launches a bomb um, because of what he sees and he's emotionally, you know, he, he emotionally responds to what he sees, uh, which is obviously horrific on TV, uh, the gas attacks. I, I don't know for the, for the average American, we see it as within our bounds with almost within our rights, our responsibilities to lead the world, to still be in some way, the world's policeman, even though we are truly mostly sick of it because of all the stuff that's happened since 9-11. So for, for him, it's not such a big leap coming from that American mindset. Does that make sense? I guess I get that. Um, we, we, we think the world wants us to still lead. Yeah, and on behalf of the world, we don't. Like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And when you here's say a goal, here's your gold watch, you're retired. Please don't do it anymore. And when you say still lead, when when did you ever really, really lead? Uh, when was the time when America was leading? I don't. It's like make America lead again. I don't know when. Right. When the last time was <laughs> when we were, you know, messing with everybody, every all the other countries that didn't go along with us. When we were leading through force. Yeah. Look, you know, as people who have listened to our, hopefully most of you who listen to this have listened to our Cold War show, and we've gone to extreme lengths in recent times in that show talking about the Yalta Conference, because at the Yalta Conference, FDR created the United Nations. And the whole idea of the United Nations was to create a mechanism that would create the conditions to prevent another war like World War II. And it was to create a body of international law, a process for negotiating peaceful resolution to conflicts, but also to have mechanisms in place, such as Chapter 7 that I talked about in the last episode, to enable the international community to respond in situations where they believe military force is required. So it's not a toothless 
tiger like the League of Nations was before it. It can intervene, but it can only do so under certain conditions where there is agreement on behalf of the Security Council. And uh, that's the way it was engineered by Roosevelt, Churchill and Stalin at the end of World War II. Now, of course, we know that the veto system that those guys put in place, so your five permanent members can veto, and that has been used countless times to prevent military action from happening when it probably required it. Yes, it's flawed. Yes, it's broken. But just going ahead and flouting international law and and invading, as America did uh, with uh, Iraq in 2003, or just bombing a country uh, outside of a declaration of war, these kinds of things are threatening to to take out uh, the leader of a country like Trump has recently done with uh, Kim, the leader of the DPRK. These sorts of things are just not conducive to the aims and ambitions that FDR had when he set up the United Nations and the Security Council in the first place. Um, be, acting as a rogue state isn't the way to be a world leader. I, I would, I would, I would say that America. Because we think we're doing the right thing and we think that we're doing what the world would want us to do. Everyone with, thinks with, they're doing the right thing. Hitler thought he was yeah. doing the right thing. Yeah, but we're a superpower, so we're going to do it. A lot of countries can think they want to do the right thing, but they don't have the means to do it. The United States does. <laughs> Might is you know, right. Again, I... I I know this is all fucked up, and you and I both know that the only reason um, Stalin went along with um, the UN was because of, one, the Security Council, and two, he got a veto. That was the only reason he came on board, because he would have a measure of control, and he could control things. Churchill went way out of his way to explain all that to him. Having said that, America, even though the United Nations is supposed to be a super body above everything else, we still want it to be nothing more than one of the tools in our belt. So we don't, it was a great idea for FDR to come up with, but at the same time, you can be cynical and say, America still wants it to, it still, still wants to lead the UN by the nose. Um, and we would like it to conform to our wishes. And we are disappointed and confused when it doesn't. It wasn't just Stalin that wanted the veto, by the way, Churchill and Roosevelt wanted the veto as well. Right. That was the only way all three would agree to it. Yeah. Okay, so Trump launched 59 cruise missiles at Shirat Air Base because it was supposedly the source of the sarin gas attack on Khan Shaikun, something that the Syrians and the Russians denied. Now, interestingly, before he launched this attack, Trump warned the Russians in advance that they were going to attack and, of course, the Russians told the Syrians. Now, before you get too cynical with this, <laughs> like you just said on the last episode, um, the Russians told us about the bombing of that one attack in case we had any CIA operatives in there. Is, is that very different from what Trump did? No, it's not. 
But remember that Trump, during the campaign, constantly complained that Obama was uh, warning Syria that he might attack. Trump was like, why do we always warn people? when we go? You don't warn them, you just attack them. If you're warning them, you're just giving the opportunity to move their troops or get out of there. Uh, that was one of his common refrains during the campaign. Now he's doing his first major attack as president. What does he do? He warns them. <laughs> yeah. And the Syrians had enough time to get nearly everyone to safety, move anything that they cared about out of the way. So the damage was limited. Can, can I be slightly mean for a second and say the moment that he gave the order to launch those missiles was probably very similar to when he uh, there was a video of him in that truck, not really big, not really driving the truck. The truck wasn't on, but he was in there going. Vroom, 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 vroom. I just picture it was the same man who said, "Let's want launch these big ass missiles." It's a fire truck, I think, a fire engine, wasn't it? Fire <laughs> truck, yeah. Playing yeah. fire. I'm sorry, I just picture it's the same same guy. Now, in the same time. Now, there, yeah. there weren't no casualties. Uh, perhaps surprisingly, considered they were given warning, seven or nine Syrian soldiers were killed, including a general. Mm. The US claimed 20 planes were destroyed as well. Um, but according to satellite images, the runways and taxiways in the airbase were undamaged and combat flights started within hours uh, after the attack. Now, according to Seymour Hersh's account, again, of how it unfolded, Trump initially didn't want to give Russia warning, but his military advisers talked him out of it. So I guess the, the, the lesson there is being president is a lot different from talking about what you would do if you were president. Right. Man, if I was president, I'd kick so much ass. But when you're in the office, obviously consequences come with every little tiny thing you do. And I think Trump is still learning that. If we don't give the Russians warning, then they're not going to warn us when they bomb right. one of our things in future. Right. And right. yeah, then, you know, it just, this is how it works, right? Yeah. Now, Again, according to Hirsch, Trump didn't ask his military advisers what to do. He came to the meeting already determined to bomb, already convinced that Bashar was guilty. And even if he wasn't, this was just a good opportunity for him to uh, bomb something. Hey, I've been president for three whole months. I haven't bombed anything yet. Like, come on, let me bomb something. I want to bomb yeah. something. Yeah. Pop my cherry. They said... Uh, you know, do you want to wait till we get some evidence? No, 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 fuck that shit. Let's just bomb I'm, I'm things, itching. man. Yeah. I'm itching. Yeah. 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 Jeez. Now, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Obama, as you know, but we should counterpoint this to what happened after Gouda. Uh, one of the reasons Obama didn't attack after Gouda was that his own advisors said, listen, the evidence is dicey. On Gouda. Yeah. I mean, they still went out and claimed Assad was responsible publicly, but privately they were like, yeah, you know, maybe he wasn't. We don't really know. There's not, there's no evidence really to confirm for or against. Right. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of respect you have to give him for let's not, yeah, overreact. 
I think there's a whole bunch of reasons why he didn't go in there. He didn't want that on his record. He didn't want that on his conscience. He, he couldn't get the backing, we know, of the international community, probably couldn't have got the backing of the American people or of the Congress. So, I mean, I'm not giving him, I'm not giving Obama full credit here. Uh, one, you know, there was a whole bunch of things at play. He couldn't, you know, he decided to go to Congress for approval, which he didn't need to do, as we know, wouldn't have got it. So it would have been on his shoulders anyway. As an outsider, let me ask you a question. Um, This has been going on for so long, everything since 9-11. You know, the new saying is, if you break it, you own it. Uh, But since he's only dropped the one series of bombs, as far as I can remember, does Trump own the Syria problem as much as Obama owned it in his time? Well, did Obama, why did Obama own it? when When he was stepping up, the bomb. I mean, I, he certainly didn't uh, um, own the Middle East as much as uh, Bush did. But I mean, there was uh, some serious bombing campaigns, especially when we started bombing inside of Syria, going after the extremists. You could certainly um, argue that Obama owned it more than Trump did. I think Trump has um, done a better job of, of keeping his distance from us so he can still act. He can still bomb occasionally and he might again. Who knows? But I think he's been able to stay away from that and, and has not taking ownership of it like like as much as uh, Obama did. I think this whole you broke it, you own it uh, thing is just fucking bullshit, man. It's, it's almost as bad as now is not the time to talk about gun control in terms of pithy little catchphrases that uh, people shouldn't be accepting. Imagine if we translated that into real life. Uh, you walk into a shop. Uh, you just you you just start breaking things, and they say, "Okay, well, you have that now. You have to fix it. You get to keep it. It's your problem." Uh, I don't know. I mean, if in in a, in a geopolitical sense, that means that we can just go in and break shit all the time, and then go, "Whoops, we broke it. I guess we better stay yeah. here for twenty five no. years now and fix it." It's no, not that so much. Just that you have a certain responsibility. Yeah, not to break it in the first place. That yeah, yeah, that that's the downside of going in. You now have, you know, skin in the game and you you can't leave until it's uh, Yeah, but fuck, I don't until it's better. I just think using that as a justification. Look, yes, okay, if you broke it, you should bear the responsibility, of course, I don't know. You broke the uh, slaves. What did you do to fix that? You broke the Native American population. What did you do to fix that? You broke a lot of things that you haven't fixed. But anyway, there are different ways of fixing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, I mean, yeah. Anywho, I don't want to get in that fucking rabbit hole because um, right. we've got a lot to get through. We've got to finish this series in this fucking episode, man. Um, now, uh, the, the, he, Trump's military advisors did apparently give him some options. One suggestion was bombing Assad's palace in Damascus. But, oh. but Trump didn't want to go that far. Uh, he builds. He doesn't destroy. There's an overreaction. So 59 Tomahawk missiles were fired from two U.S. Navy destroyers on duty in the Mediterranean, the Ross mm-hmm. and the Porter. Now, the strike was, depending on who you believe, maybe successful, maybe not successful. Uh, <laughs> it didn't do much damage. 
Um, they had a fairly light payload, these missiles, roughly 220 pounds of HBX, which is the modern version of TNT. Think about that. The Syrians dropped one 500-pound bomb on one building. Trump launched 59 missiles that carried 220 pounds of HBX. Uh, The primary target supposedly was the airfield's gasoline storage tanks, which were pulverized. That triggered a huge fire, which then gave off lots of smoke, which interfered with the guidance systems of the missiles that came after it. Uh, as many as 24 of the 59 missiles missed their targets and only a handful of them apparently penetrated into hangars where they supposedly destroyed nine Syrian aircraft, not the 20 that the Trump administration claimed. And according to Hersh's sources, none of the nine were actually operational. They were damaged aircraft that are what the Air Force call hangar queens. They were basically no, not going anywhere, not doing anything anyway. They were sacrificial lambs that they left there, uh, not operational planes in the first place. Probably old Soviet stock from the 50s that they still had. Yeah, yeah well, we, yeah, we were going to have to... They were going to be landfill anyway. Let's let the Americans break them up for us. Most of the personnel and the operational fighter planes had been flown to nearby bases hours before the raid began. Uh, the runways either weren't attacked or were repaired pretty quickly and were back up and operating within hours. So it was little more than an expensive fireworks display for Trump to get a hard on because the uh, the the little blue pills that he was taking stopped working and he needed a, a way to get it up. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, the very definition of Obama runway and it's been used a couple hours later, that's a big fail. Do, so if it's... Um, I've, I'm looking at the Tomahawk missile. It's 1.87 million dollars per missile wow so 60 odd million dollars he spent on that uh, alone yeah yeah but it made him feel good so hey you know yeah did nothing accomplished nothing but you know spent a lot of tax taxpayer money you got to remember an unused weapon is a useless weapon (laughs) yeah i guess uh, Doctor Strange. Right. Yeah. So uh, I guess it just means that they can buy more Tomahawk missiles mm-hmm. from Hughes. I think makes them now. Uh, I think sure. I, I think McDonald McDonald Douglas was the original supplier of the Tomahawks, but I think uh, uh, oh Raytheon I think manufacture them now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice work if you can get it. So anyway. Um, <laughs> Apparently, again, according to Hersh's sources, Steve Bannon, remember him, White House chief yeah. strategist, he, yeah, he reportedly opposed the strike, was probably the guy uh, behind Trump's policy during the later stage of the campaign, saying, no, no, let's stay out of Syria. Uh, but Jared Kushner wanted to wanted the strike to happen. 
So I, I guess this is sort of one of these turning points where Jared Kushner's taking precedence over Steve Bannon. Now, of course, the strike was conducted without either U.S. Congressional or Security Council approval. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one really knew who was responsible. It was three days after the attack. No one really had any evidence, but... Trump didn't let that get in the way. Now, on the 7th of April, uh, there was an emergency meeting of the United Nations Security Council. This is the same day as the attack. Some delegates, that took place after the attack, some of the delegates there expressed support for the strikes. Um, Others condemned it as a unilateral act of aggression. and reminded the Americans that the council must authorise any such intervention. Vladimir Putin said the US strike was an act of aggression against a sovereign country, violating the norms of international law under a trumped-up pretext. And then he said, see what I did there? (laughs) Trumped up? See that? You like that? (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to... To which... Yeah. Yeah. Now I was just going to make a joke where that's when Trump pulls out his George Costanza and goes, was that wrong? I, I got to be honest with you. I claim ignorance on this one. Yeah. Um, having sex on, on my desk at work. Was that wrong? <laughs> with the maid or whatever it was. Yeah. Now. <laughs> anyway. I'm not going to get into Putin's lack of credibility for uh, uh, not seeking UN Security Council uh, 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 approval. Yeah. But the the point is that um, it, this just gave both Bashar and Putin a legitimate finger to point at the United States as being a rogue state. And as Putin said, it substantially impaired Russia-United States relations. He also claimed that the strike was an attempt to distract the world from the civilian casualties in Iraq that were a result of a U.S. airstrike in Mosul uh, a couple of weeks before that. Reports had just started coming out about it. Now, he's probably got a point. Uh, On the 17th of March 2017, there was an American-led bombing in the uh, uh, Al-Jadida neighborhood of Mosul, where somewhere between 200 to 500 civilians were killed. Fuck. It was the largest single death toll inflicted by a coalition airstrike since the 2003 invasion began. 200 to 500 civilians, depending on which reports you believe, killed by US-led airstrikes. Now, Putin's theory is that Trump did his airstrikes to kind of just change the narrative in the media, make sure that people were talking about that and not the fact Mm -hmm. that the... (laughs) Listen, we just killed a bunch of civilians. I know. Let's break international law and bomb Syria to get them to talk about that uh, breaking of international law rather than the fact that we just killed a bunch of civilians. Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, here's my point. Who called Trump on this? Nobody. Trump, who had campaigned as someone who advocated making peace with Assad, is bombing Syria 11 weeks after taking office. 
And he was hailed for it, not just by Republicans, as you would expect, but by Democrats and the media alike. Everyone falls into line when this kind of shit happens, even today in the United States. You talk about the liberal media before. Well, this is how the liberal media acts when this kind of stuff goes on. Brian Williams uh, of MSNBC used the word beautiful to describe the images of the Tomahawks being launched at sea. Fareed Zakaria on CNN said, I think Donald Trump just became president of the United States, meaning that he became presidential when he was uh, firing missiles. A review of the top 100 American newspapers showed that 39 of them published editorials supporting the bombing, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. Is that maybe because, and I'm only guessing here, giving them the benefit of the doubt or whatever, that they thought he was reacting to the gas attacks. But again, they don't know any more than he does because no one's taken the time to investigate. Well, exactly. And the media, which is supposedly the fourth estate, should be saying, hold on a second, A, there's not enough time yet to have any evidence to get any reports of who right. was who was responsible responsible for this. B, uh, this is breaking international law. We can't just do this kind of shit. We don't have permission. UNSC didn't give permission to do this. So what the fuck? This is not acceptable. But the media didn't do that. They said, yeah, America bombing shed. Woo! Okay, right. look, we, we, we don't like Donald Trump, but this is awesome. America's bombing shit. Let's all get on the bandwagon. Right. Jeez. Now, Kareem Shaheen, the first Western journalist to visit Khan Shaikun after the attack, photographed the crater where the weapon was reported to have hit and saw apparently an abandoned warehouse and silos near the crater. Mm-hmm. which tends to lend support to the idea that the bomb that hit didn't hit a warehouse. It landed just in the middle of the street. And so the Russian story is bogus. Right. Now, uh, in June, a few months later, the OPCW, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, issued their first report claiming sarin was indeed used, but their mandate didn't include assigning responsibility for the attack. And they also didn't even visit the site of the attack due to security reasons, because it was still under con- uh, under the control of the rebels at this stage. But mm-hmm. they did have some of the bodies shipped to them, I think, in Turkey. So they got to do autopsies. They were able to get sent biomedical samples from casualties and fatalities. They interviewed witnesses and they came to the conclusion that it was, in fact, sarin. Now, on the 6th of September, the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights' Independent International Commission of Inquiry, or as I like to call them, the O-U-N-H-C-H-R-I-I-C-I, <laughs> the own 
They need to get so like Klingon. They need to get our Nusra yeah. Fronts branding people on that. Quick smart, I tell you. <laughs> they concluded that the Syrian Air Force was responsible for dropping a sarin bomb. Mm-hmm. But their report was criticized for a couple of reasons. Number one, their conclusions were based on interviews with locals in the area, locals in an area that was being controlled by jihadi jihadists, jihadi rebels. Right. Um, Secondly, they didn't inspect the Shaira Air Base, even though the US had claimed that the chemical weapons were stored or loaded there. And even though the Syrian government urged them to go and inspect the airbase, said that it was uh, safe, uh, it was available for an inspection. The Russians urged them to go and visit the airbase. The the Syrians urged them to do it. The OPCW, mm-hmm. for reasons I don't know, didn't do it. How may I help you? Shut the fuck up, Siri. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> what? Get him, Siri. Yeah. Syrian, so, yeah. I said. It's a country. Look it up. <laughs> ah. right. Now, another uh, issue that people had with this report is photographs came out uh, and video came out after this attack uh, showing the white helmets. Are you familiar with the white helmets, Ray? The uh, Is that from the UN? Uh, oh, no, no, no. no that's, that's the uh, the people who rescue people. Yeah, the, the, is, the are those the who, uh, Syrians that rescue people? The Syrian, the people who rescue people. Yes, yeah. The White Helmets <laughs> are a, are a civilian uh, volunteer organization that operate in Syria and Turkey. Um, they're also known as the Syrian Syria Civil Defense, the SCD. They are basically urban search and rescue. They they swing into action when there's bombing and and there's evacuation of civilians or there's medical evacuations um it's a it's i guess it's like a a civilian version of the red cross um right. who put themselves in harm's way to to do this stuff it's uh they have a budget um 70 million dollars there's about 3000 volunteers that get a monthly stipend it's a non-profit um, it was created sort of early on in the Civil War, 2012. It started to emerge. Anyway, when uh, there were photos and videos of white helmets personnel getting involved helping victims at the Khan Shakun site, they weren't mm. wearing any protective clothing. Ooh. So the way that sarin works, of course, is it's... Friends, if you touch somebody that's had sarin liquid or gas on them, you get infected as well. That's how it spreads. So right. they would have been putting themselves in extreme danger by touching and picking people up and carrying them around or just breathing in the air if there was still sarin gas in the air. And they would have died within a minute of mm-hmm. touching these people right. if they had sarin. So some people were doubtful that there could have actually been sarin at the site. 
And also, a number of the rescuers in their interviews said that they were overcome by a pungent-smelling chemical. And remember, sarin is odorless. Now, there may have been other chemicals involved in the attack. Uh, The UN report also said that there was weaponized chlorine involved in other attacks in Syria and maybe also in that attack. So maybe there was a chlorine bomb and they were smelling that and there was also a sarin bomb, but why they weren't being affected by the sarin when they were helping victims is kind of confusing. So again, as with all of these sarin attacks, there's a lot of question marks about it. Um, as far as I can tell, and look, uh, I, to the best of my ability, read everything I could on these attacks, the, the evidence for and against, the reports for and against, and I still couldn't come up. Uh, after, you know, after all this time, what are we, October? So it's like six months after the whole thing, I still wasn't convinced who was responsible for it, that there was any clear evidence one way or the other. Yeah. And, and, and just to throw this out, but obviously... Um Someone may have some form of chemical weapons. We don't know who. We don't know what triggers them to use it when and why and against who. But, and not to be too harsh, but all that pales in comparison with the number of deaths, the number of displaced people, which have gone on to different countries in the Middle East, different countries in Europe, and causing a lot of uh, issues there. So again, there's an event going on on that side of the world that's affecting a lot of other countries. And so, yeah, the chemical bat- gas thing is pretty bad, but compared to just what we're doing with conventional weapons, I don't know. It's, it should be just, it should be relatively concerning, but you can obviously kill somebody with a lot of other things besides sarin. Oh, you, of course. Right. We're talking half a million people dead um, by mostly conventional means. We get all up in arms over this, but still it is, it is, it is a line in the sand, right? That um, if anything, yeah. if it was being used deliberately by the Syrian government, it's evidence that, uh, that uh, the Syrian government is uh, at fault in a major way. Now, one of the issues I wanted to touch on is because the rescuers themselves weren't being poisoned, it might also indicate, according to one thing I read, that the sarin gas being used wasn't military-grade sarin oh. gas. That right. that it was low end, cobbled together in the backyard sarin gas, which wouldn't be the case if it was the Syrian government's stocks. If it was come from mm-hmm. their stocks, it would be high end stuff. If it was something that had been smuggled over the border from Iraq or Libya, uh, then it might be lower grade uh, right. sarin. Um, anyway, uh, now. By the way, this UN report that came out in September um, noted that the Syrian government had ratified after the Ghouta attacks in 2013 that they would get rid of all of their chemical weapons, um, Mm -hmm. which UN uh, 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 weapons inspectors had been in Syria working with them to do for that previous period. So... uh, officially Syria didn't have any chemical weapons left when this happened. That doesn't mean they couldn't have been hiding some, but UN inspectors have been working in there for, for the last couple of years. Now, also the UN report found that US forces uh, had been failing to take feasible precautions to protect civilians and civilian objects 
when attacking terrorists, uh, destroying a mosque uh, complex in Aleppo in March. So they were in violation of international humanitarian law. Right. Uh, so it wasn't just Assad that we got gets criticised in these UN reports. Um, the US forces also copying some shit here. Now, getting back to what I was saying before, you have to wonder if the Trump administration in the early part of the year had been making all of these sounds that they were prepared to let Assad stay, why would he deliberately use sarin to attack the people in Khan Shaikun? It's a bit like the Gouda attack happening when UN inspectors were in the fucking country. Right. Uh, it just doesn't make yeah, much sense just, unless he yeah. really is just sending a big fuck you to the world or his army are doing the attacks without his knowledge, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. It, 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 um, yeah, it's counterintuitive. Obviously, it can get him a lot more trouble. So either someone else is doing it, he's mad, or like you said, his army's doing it uh, without his permission because maybe for them the war has gotten personal. And I, I, you just get the feeling this is going to be one of the 10,000 questions that we may never know the answer to in this entire region in this entire conflict, the rule of law just does not seem to exist anymore for anyone. And why would the Russians, because assuming it was a chemical weapon that the Syrians launched, the Russians must have known about it. Uh, Why would the Russians have agreed to let the Syrians drop a chemical bomb when they had invested a huge amount of political capital back in 2013, getting the Americans and the Syrians to the table to get the Syrians to agree to get rid of all of their chemical weapons, to to avoid being attacked by the US. Yeah. And there was a huge Russian military presence at the uh, Shirat base uh, I don't know why it just doesn't make any sense on so many levels. Uh, and again, of course, there was this highly skilled UN team that had been there more than a year removing all known chemical weapons from various depots across Syria. But again, all of this analysis didn't show up in the US media. Uh, didn't show up. Not You didn't hear Democrat leaders asking these questions. You didn't hear the U.S. media asking these questions. This is the problem uh, that America still has is if the president, like old Richard Nixon said, if the president does it, then it must be legal or it must be correct. Uh, they get on board and just swing into line regardless of the lack of evidence and uh, the lack of legality supporting it. Right. But, but if you stop for a moment and you think the, and you think about the position the press is in, this is a quagmire. If there was ever was one um, it's against a different group of people. Um, If you're, if you're on the press and you are politically to the left, the president's on the, on the political right. Um, But you know, you're going to get, um, trounced by other Republicans supporting the president. Maybe the person who owns the paper is conservative. I mean, America in general, but certainly our press, we are having a very hard time 
wrapping our head around this stuff. We don't know what to think. We don't know what's the, what, what the truth is. We have no idea where this is going. And so a whole bunch of inconsistencies or bad reporting or the lack of reporting in some ways to me makes a lot of sense because we just have no idea what's going on. But we do know that we can't trust anyone. Yeah, but the the, the job of the media should be pushing back against the government when it does obviously short-sighted, illegal, dangerous activities. Uh, But you're right. I mean, so the the media doesn't do that. So we have to ask ourselves, why is it because they're scared of the consequences? If they do, is it because, you're right, the, the owners of these media companies are normally large corporations or rich individuals who are probably conservative? Um, you would hope that the Washington Post, now that it's controlled by Jeff Bezos, who's supposedly fairly progressive, would be uh, doing uh, more skeptical journalism but he's also a billion he's also a billionaire so who knows really where the pressure is anyway just to wrap up this part of it within a day of trump's attack russia announced it would strengthen syria's air defenses and formally notified the pentagon that it suspended the u.s russia memorandum of mutual understanding which had established a hotline between the u.s and russia and their military uh, to avoid the sort of collisions that we talked about before. Um, And also between collisions of aircraft over Syria to make sure that they were staying out of each other's way. They they terminated that. So although uh, Trump's attack didn't do much damage to the actual airbase, it did significantly damage America's relationship with Russia vis-a-vis ongoing operations in Syria. Which is the absolutely last thing that anyone needs. Us not us talking less to each other. And that brings us up to date. More or less, I mean, obviously in the last couple of years there's just been more ongoing fighting. Uh, so, so what have we learned so far? Where does that leave us, boys and girls? Let's, let's wrap this bitch up and put a bow on it. <laughs> <laughs> which is what he said to me in Vegas. Um, yeah, I mean, now for me personally, I never thought that Bashar was going to go anywhere. As long as we have, what I can't remember what it's called, but America has that rule where you, you don't kill leaders of foreign countries. Um, unless, unless an assassin gets close to Bashar, he's not going anywhere. I, I never thought at any point that he, he he would leave office unless he absolutely wanted to. And so all this talk about him going was just a complete waste of time for me. And maybe this is a lesson that the Americans can learn about our limited power unless we're willing to lose unless we're willing to lose soldiers' lives, which after everything that's happened after nine eleven, we are no longer willing to do. And so I don't know there's a lot of lessons to be learned in this for 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 all the different groups. So, let's summarize, I think. It's how did this whole Syrian civil war. We've done 25 hours now, right? Let's see if we can summarize it into a nice little uh d- okay. digestible package. It started with kids writing graffiti 
on yeah. a wall in 2011, uh, excited by the Arab Spring revolutions that were happening in other countries. Mm-hmm. The Syrian government, their local representatives, handled it very badly. The kids were arrested, they were tortured, they were beaten. When their families and friends and community complained, they get they got told to shut the fuck up and back away. Things, things escalated. Uh, both sides escalated, and it got worse. Uh, and, and again, this is in the middle of the Arab Spring euphoria, I guess, the early stages of it, where mm-hmm. populations of Arab countries thought they might be able to overthrow their dictators, and maybe that the Western governments would support them in doing that. Syrian government, led by Bashar al-Assad, had a lot of experience in shutting down protests and unrest going back over sort of 40 years at this stage. Uh, Bashar's father, Hafez, had had to crack down a number of times in his 30-year rule. And they cracked down really, really hard. But pretty quickly, it seems, other elements got involved. ISIS, Al-Qaeda other jihadi groups took the opportunity of the conflict to cross over from Iraq mm-hmm. and start to try and undermine, destabilize the Assad government. Why would they do that? Because the jihadi groups are Sunni. Bashar al-Assad's family and his government is probably prominent fuck, is mostly made up of Alawi uh, and uh, are supported by the Shia. They protect the Shia locally along with the Christians, but are supported by Mm -hmm. Iran, a Shia-led government, the mortal enemies of the Sunni, uh, and particularly the jihadi uh, elements, the Salafist elements of uh, the Sunnis. Members of the Syrian army relatively early on in the first year or so, either were disgusted by the way the Assad government and the Syrian army were cracking down or saw their opportunity to overthrow the Assad government and they defected and formed the Free Syrian Army, a rebel army group, you know, possibly with a view to overthrowing Assad and creating a new military dictatorship under them. Again, a lot of them are probably Sunni, uh, and they had been under an Alawi government for 40-odd years, and they may have seen this as their opportunity to establish their own Sunni dictatorship. Then, relatively quickly, other Arab states who hated Assad... The other Gulf states, uh, they got involved, started supporting various terrorist elements to overthrow the Assad government. And then gradually the Americans, the French, the Iranians, the Israelis and the Russians and the Turks all got involved taking sides in the conflict. All of them want control of Syria Partially because of its strategic position, 
In Israel, we know it doesn't have much oil to speak of. It's probably a net oil importer now, but strategically, it's in the heart of the Middle East. For the Americans, it's also about weakening Hezbollah and Iran, uh, supporting Israel, and also fighting ISIS and Al-Qaeda. For the Russians, it's about keeping the one Middle Eastern ally they still have left. And also, it's about fighting ISIS and Mm Al-Qaeda. For Assad, it's about holding on to power. For Sunni Syrians, it's about getting rid of the Alawi dictatorship. For Shia, Christian and Alawi Syrians, and maybe the Druze, It's about keeping the Assad government in power, even though they may not like the Assad government. They have offered them protection from Sunni elements and from ISIS and Al-Qaeda for 40-odd years. They may not be perfect, but they keep the Christians and the other minorities relatively safe, which they're not. Look at what's happening to the Shia in Yemen Uh, under the the Saudi regime. Uh, Look what happened in Iraq uh, on the, 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 I guess, under a a Sunni government there when um, Saddam Hussein was in power. So they're, they're, you know, they're um, supporting the Assad government, some of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Still to this day, I think to a large extent, because it's uh, they, they do protect them, and the other guys won't. And They're then, best of a bad choice. What happens now? In the last few months, the Kurds, who control the north of Syria and into Iraq and a little bit of Turkey, have been pushing for independence and creating their own state. In September, just last month, 3 million Kurds living in the semi-autonomous region of northern Iraq, known unofficially as Kurdistan, voted overwhelmingly to seek independence in a non-binding referendum. Mm -hmm. Now, the most important resource that the Kurds have is oil, Erbil, the capital of their region is an oil boomtown. And after the Iraqi military fled Kirkuk during the Islamic State's offensive in 2014, the Kurds were able to seize full control of that city and its major oil fields as well. Now, if they do claim independence, it means that the Iraqi government would lose those oil resources. And Baghdad has said that it's willing to go to war to prevent that from happening. Jeez. A bit like the Spanish government this week has said they will do anything in their power to stop Catalan uh, breaking off, and who they've also claimed independence in their referendum, and uh, the, contains Barcelona, which is major economic capital of Spain, and the Spanish government is acting the same way as the Iraqi government, saying, "Uh uh-uh, not going to let it happen. 
Now, the Turkish government also would see a potential Kurdish state on its borders as a major existential threat. Um, It might encourage the millions of Kurds who live in southern Turkey and have long been repressed by the Turkish government, both culturally and militarily, to break away. Um, And of course, the US aren't in favour of it in favor of it either, as we've mentioned before. Uh, even though the US have urged the Kurds to fight against the Assad government, when the Kurds said, hey, we want our independence, the American government under Obama and also under Trump has said, no, nah, no, nah, that's yeah, nah. independence. Not a good time. No, nah, yeah. no, nah, we don't One like thing that. At a time. Yeah, yeah, we don't like that idea. Um, mostly because the US is heavily dependent on its alliances with Turkey and Iraq. Turkey and Iraq don't want Kurdish independence, so America doesn't want Kurdish independence. Freedom and liberty for all, unless, you know, that's it's not what we want, and then, no, fuck you, stay oppressed. Well, and Turkey is a part of NATO, too, so if they want... Yeah, America's going to back their NATO partner in that, in that area, a, a very important ally, so, yeah, the Kurds are not going to get any help from us. The White House called the independence referendum uh, in September provocative and destabilizing, um, which is what the British called the American Revolution. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's oranges yeah. and apples, my friend. Oranges and apples. Brett H. McGurk, the United States Special Envoy to counter the Islamic State. How would you like that job? What's my? What's your? Hi. What's your job? Uh, what's your business card read? Yeah, I, I'm supposed to counter the Islamic State. Really? Wow, that's you must not get a lot of sleep. Good luck with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, he described the referendum as a very risky process with no prospect for international legitimacy. Um, So good luck to the Kurds with that. The British-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights estimates that currently, as of now, early October 2017, the Assad government controls about 48% of Syrian territory. So even though ISIS seems to be on the back foot, uh, they're still a long way from having control of the country, the government, that is. Um, it's, it's, it's a long way from being over. ISIS and other Islamic jihadi groups currently control about 15% of Syria, but they do seem to be in retreat. Uh, mm-hmm. They do seem to be... They've got Americans and the Syrian army and the Russians and the Turks. Yeah. Um, and God knows who else attacking them. So they're on the back foot, but the rest of Syria is controlled currently by the Kurds and the Free Syrian Army. And if Assad does win the war and manages to stay in power, he's probably not going to look kindly on an autonomous Kurdish region on its national borders. So who knows where that is will end up. The civil war will continue against the Kurds. And the US, uh, in a speech in early September, Trump said, we have very little to do with Syria other than killing ISIS. 
So during his campaign, he was like, we don't want to get involved. Then all of a sudden, within a matter of hours, he decided he wanted to bomb the shit out of one airbase. And he got that out of his system. And since then, he's like, eh, you know. Yeah, I'm spent. I'm done. The yeah. U.S. does have troops deployed in Syria to help fight ISIS, but it's small fry. Can you guess how many American troops are currently in Syria, Ray? 6,000. Take a zero off. And then take, then take another 100 off. <laughs> 500? Yeah, there are officially... Advisors... Uh, troops, right. yeah, 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 you know, you know what they are. I mean, they always say they're advisors. Who the fuck knows? Right. There are uh, officially 500 American troops in Syria. Um, the actual number is probably closer to a thousand uh, because there are troops deployed on a temporary basis that aren't counted against the total, according mm. to the Pentagon's dodgy, Pentagon's dodgy accounting method. Um, <laughs> but again, the U.S. doesn't have a legal basis to operate within Syria. Even John Kerry, former Secretary of State, recently was secretly recorded admitting as much. Uh, A leaked recording came out of him speaking to members of the Syrian opposition at a meeting that took place at the Dutch mission to the United Nations. Kerry said, the problem is that the Russians don't care about international law, but we do. And we don't have the basis, our lawyers tell us, unless we have the UN Security Council resolution, which the Russians can veto and the Chinese, or unless we are under attack from the folks there, or unless we are invited in. Russia is invited in by the legitimate regime. Well, it's illegitimate in our mind, but by the regime. And so they were invited in and we are not invited in. We're flying in airspace where they can turn on the air defences and we would have a very different scene. The only reason they are letting us fly is because we're going after ISIL. If we were going after Assad, those air defences, we would have to take out all the air defences and we don't have the legal justification, frankly, unless we stretch it way beyond the law. Wow. Now, of course, to me, him saying we care about international law is completely laughable. The US didn't care about international law when it invaded Iraq in 2003 uh, and it hasn't cared about international law in a countless number of cases before and since that. But hey, if that's the mythology you wanna you wanna pretend yeah. is real, then go for it. Um. So, where are we at? Oh, uh, where are we at? So, um. The U.S. military has begun attacking Syrian government troops, supposedly, uh, in response to clashes between the Kurds and Syrian troops. Uh, In recent weeks, it seems like the U.S. has been ramping up its illegal bombing campaign in Raqqa, U.S. airstrikes have killed 300 civilians Jeez. Uh, in recent weeks using white phosphorus bombs, amongst other things. And the interesting thing is you, look, you have to look at, you've got a, a majority Christian nation, the United States, that calls itself right. a Christian nation, sl- siding 
with Islamic rebels against mm-hmm. a government that protects the rights of Christians. Yeah, I mean, when you look through it, a narrow view like that, it sounds pretty bad. Pretty, pretty bad. According to former CIA acting director John McLaughlin... The Trump administration remains unclear about its goals, with administration officials often contradicting each other. Based on actions, however, the White House has narrowed its objective to the destruction of ISIS. According to Thomas Wright from the Brookings Institute, Trump is pushing back against Iran more generally in the region, but Syria is a piece of the puzzle. He has not come close to figuring it out. Figuring out. Um... Of course, the rhetoric, just generally speaking, between Russia and America is heating up. Mm-hmm. And Russia recently threatened to strike U.S. troops in Syria. Heaven help us all if that happens. And that's where we're at as of October 12, 2017. So... Good luck to the Syrian people. Good luck to the Kurds. Absolutely. I uh, thank you to everyone who's listened to this over the course of the show. I hope you feel better educated about the situation there than you did previously. How about you, Ray? How, how, how do you feel at the end of all of this? Did you learn something? Oh, hell yeah. Because, yeah, I mean when we were breaking up the the various groups in the Middle East, it made a lot more sense coming at it from that angle. Everybody has their own position. Everybody has their, uh, their point of view. Everybody has how they would like things to work out. And now they're literally fighting over it as opposed to talking about it. Um, Sadly, I think we can cover 10 different subjects in the bullshit filter, then come back to Syria to reassess and it will still be going on. But, but it does, to my mind, make things a lot more understandable, if not a lot more clear. But it truly does. I I truly do appreciate it more than ever before how intertwined all these different parts are. And it just seems almost impossible that it will ever be worked out. Yeah, I think we will come back to it uh, in the future. But uh, next up, I think we will do gun control. Then we maybe we do Trump. I also am interested in doing something about the anti-vaxxer movement, digging through mm-hmm. that maybe. Um, and hopefully none of those series will be as long as this one right. was. Like They don't all have to be 25 hours long. Some might be a, one or two episodes. Some might be four or five mm. It just is what it is um, until we feel like we've got a handle on it. I want to read a review. Uh, I only got one this week. This is from the United Kingdom from Davesh Hawesh. Mandatory learning, Davesh says. Don't worry about the lack of dick jokes, guys. I get enough juvenile, crude, inappropriate commentary from you on your selection of history podcasts. Long live a gripper. I am all for a bit of American and British governmental bashing, but it would be good to remember that the Australians have been there all the way. If I were a teacher, this would be mandatory listening, although I'm sure I'd get fired. Keep up the hard work, legends. Uh, Thanks, Davesh. Yeah, look, you're right. The Australians do back the US all the way with everything that they do. The reason I don't mention Australia much is Australia is two-tenths of fuck-all in the whole equation. Um... 
we 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 give moral support. We send in four guys and a dog, so you can say Australia's <laughs> involved. But really, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Australia appalling. I'm I'm appalled by my country's involvement and at in this as well as in many other things. Um, I can criticise the Australian government all day long, uh, both of our major political parties. But in the international geopolitical scene, yeah, we're hardly worth a fucking effort to mention um, because we're not really a player player. Right. Uh, But thank you, Devesh, for the review. Send us an email and Mm -hmm. with your postal address and we'll send you a thank you gift. And um, that's it. That's the end. Yeah. That that's it. We're done. It's that's over. For we'll be back. What? Yes. Think for yourselves and question everything. Bullshit. 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 Bullshit.